walking along the sidewalk and you notice somebody coming out of a store laden down with all kinds of packages and they kind of stumble on the step and the packages are strewn all over the sidewalk and they're on the ground and, and you help them. You reach out and you lift them up and you gather the packages together for them. What response do you expect from them? What if they said, thank you for your time, how much do I owe you? You would be offended, right? You were just helping. You were just showing an act of love to your neighbor. What if they simply ignored you? Or, even worse, they said, you forgot one. Pick that one up too. And then they just walked away without saying thank you. What would you think? You wouldn't feel very good about that, would you? What response do you expect for an act of love? Not an offer of payment, not silence, a simple thank you is enough. Now let's ramp up the example to cosmic proportions. We have ruined his creation. We have rebelled against his holy will. We have caused the death of his beloved son. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then God came to us and he picked us up and he lavished his love upon us and he's working to restore all the damage we've caused to his creation and he has washed us clean with the blood of Jesus and he brought us back into communion with himself as beloved children. What response does God expect from us? Not payment. That would be offensive and impossible. Not silence and complaint, but simply thankfulness. Now we fallen sinners are so fallen, we're so sinful that we get this wrong time and time again. God's people throughout history have gotten this wrong over and over and over. You remember, perhaps, that on a Thanksgiving Sunday, we heard the gospel preached from Psalm 50. And you remember Psalm 50, the Lord has a complaint against these people. He says, look, you're coming into my presence. You're doing all the rules. You're doing all the rituals, all the ceremonies, all the sacrifices, as if somehow, by doing all the right things, you're going to earn my favor. You're going to buy my love. God is offended by this. What does God say? Psalm 50 verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God says, what do I want in response to my love? My children, it's very simple. I want your love. I want you, I want your heart. So that when you're in distress or when you have any concern or when you have any joy, you run to your father and you call upon me and I will attend to your needs. That's how love works. You know, every other Religion, every fake religion, because there's only one true one, every fake religion has a setup where 
It's according to the Latin phrase, do ut das. I give to the God, the fake God, so that he gives me something. It's, it's just tit for tat. I'll do something for you, you do something for me. But the scripture presents us with the God of whom the apostle says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We can't pay God. We can't even begin. We can't buy God's love. We can't get God to owe us his love for the good things we've done and for the good little Christians we've been. It doesn't work. It's impossible. And we just went through that in the catechism, right? You remember Lord's Day 44. What does it say? No one keeps the commandments perfectly. No one. We can't buy God's love. And neither is silence an option. If we know God, if we know what God has done for us and in us, then we cannot be silent. What does the psalmist say? Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. That's the sign of a Christian. Someone who just can't shut up about God, about his glory, about his goodness, about his grace. They can't stop testifying to the love of God. That's what the psalmist says, Psalm 30. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That is the mark of the Christian life, a life drenched, overflowing, full of thanks. Because that's the appropriate response to love. Thanksgiving. Men, if you come home with some flowers for your wife, and she says in a kind of a flat voice, how much did they cost? What do I owe you? You've got a problem in your marriage. Or if you give her flowers and she just doesn't say a thing, she gives you the silent treatment, you've got a problem in your marriage. So payment or silence are not options in a relationship of love. Thanksgiving is a mark of a relationship of love. We're singing through Psalm 116 in this service. You know, don't fixate on the tune, please. Oh, we're singing the same tune through the whole service. That's not important. Look at the words. When we sing the Psalms, we sing the Scripture. And the Psalms are units that the Holy Spirit has put before us. They, they, they say something. They have a beginning and a middle and an end. And you've noticed perhaps that I try to sing whole psalms as much as possible. Because singing a whole psalm is like reading a whole letter, a whole love letter. You don't just read one line and then forget the rest. And look at Psalm 116, verse 17. The psalmist says, look, you've set me free, Lord. 
You've set me free, and I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I love you, Lord. That's how the psalm starts. I love you. I love you because of who you are. I love you for what you have done in my life. And that love just makes me burst into praise and joy and thanksgiving. That is the mark of worship, true worship. And we read through the Psalms, we read through the Scriptures, we see it time and time and time again, that when people that know the power of the new life that God gives sinners in Jesus Christ, they can only do one thing, and that is break out into praise. And so Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. We don't come murmuring and complaining and demanding we come thanking and worshiping. And that thanksgiving is heartfelt. Psalm 86, verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. You see the connection there. God, I love you because you saved me, and love makes me burst into praise, worship, and thanksgiving. That's what the psalm is saying. And there are all kinds of psalms that say the same thing. So it is we, with thanksgiving we come into worship, and it is from the heart thanksgiving, and it is public thanksgiving. We don't want to just say it just between us and God. We want the world to know what he has done for us, Right? So look at Psalm 57, verse 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Lord, I'm not going to be in this little colony, this little spiritual colony, just kind of keeping the, the, the word and, and your grace and your glory to myself and to my relatives and to my family. I will give thanks among the peoples. The world will know, O oh God, who you are and what you have done. Look, there's the connection with love again. I will give thanks to you, O oh Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Now, look at the next verse. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. We come to worship in thankfulness. It's from the heart and it's public, and it is non-stop. It doesn't end. We can't stop. Look at Psalm 79, verse 13. We, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you. How long? Well, after lunch, Lord, we'll pray for 30 seconds. They say, thank you for the food. No. We will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise because you are a God who loves, you are a God who saves, and we are a people who worship and give thanks. That's who we are. That's what we do. Because you made us, Lord. We can't respond in any other way but to worship you with thanksgiving. So what does thanksgiving look like? Well, it's not trying to pay God back. You know, brothers and sisters, that is such a horrible, foul 
perversion of the gospel that a lot of us end up swallowing. We swallow that lie. We think, I've got to be a better person, a better mother, a better father, a better husband or wife, a better employee or employer. I've got to be a better human being for God to love me. Not true. No matter how hard you try, you can't buy God's love. He's given it to you. He loves you with an eternal love. You can't pay God back. You can't earn his favor. And you certainly, if you really know the power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and your life, you cannot stay silent. You cannot take it for granted. You can't just take and take and take the blessings of God and then live your life for this world alone. It doesn't work if you're really a Christian. What happens to the Christian is this. We, we let our mouth speak what our heart overflows with. And if we are in Christ, then our heart overflows with divine love because Romans 5, 5, he has poured his love into our hearts. And the most important way to do that, to, to show thankfulness to God, the chief part of thankfulness, the most important part of thankfulness, is to talk to him, to communicate with him. As we taste his love, as we delight in his love, as we bask in his love, the most important way to show our thankfulness is to tell him, Lord, I love you. I love you because of who you are. I love you for what you have done. I love you, God, for being my father. I love you for working in my life. I love you for everything. Isn't that what we most desire from our children, those of us who are parents? What do you want, to, what do you want from your children? Do you want your children to be little legalists? keeping all the rules and sweating and worrying that mommy and daddy are going to be angry with me if I don't follow all the rules and they won't love me. I have to be good for my mom and dad to love me. That's a very horrible situation. We don't want that. But we also don't want our kids just taking and taking and taking our love and our instruction and all the care that we give to them and just kind of taking it for granted and never appreciating it and growing up and moving out and never saying thank you never showing any gratitude for all the sacrifice, because it's a sacrifice that parenting is. What do we want from our kids? We want their love. We just want their love in response to our love. That when they're in need, when they're hurting, when they're afraid, that they run to us for comfort, not to the world, not to Reddit not to the internet, but to us. When they're in pain, that they come to us for help. That they share with us their joys and their hopes and their aspirations. And I would say that one of the most glorious experiences for a mom and a dad is to have their grown-up children come to them after some years and 
looking back upon their life and looking at the way they were brought up and looking at how much love, sacrificial love was invested, even by these these parents who were not perfect. They made many mistakes, but but all that sacrificial love invested in their upbringing and, and adult children coming to mom and dad and saying, mom and dad, thank you. Thank you for showing us the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for teaching us the gospel. Thank you for bringing us up in the fear of the Lord. Thank you for pointing us over and over and over to Christ. And when we get that, that's a little taste of what is pleasing to God. That's what he wants from his children. A simple attitude of thankfulness. Now we we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I think it's verse 18. The apostle said that we need to give thanks in all circumstances, all. That that prayerful attitude of thankfulness and that thankful attitude of prayerfulness is not just sometimes. It's not just when we get what we want. It's not just when our bucket list is being checked off. It's not just when our petitions are being answered in the way that we had hoped. But in all circumstances, we give thanks. In all circumstances, we say, Lord, we love you. We need you. We depend on you. And so the Christian, and only the Christian, is able to be thankful in times of joy, but also in times of sadness, in times of great comfort, and also in times of pain and affliction. We thank God even for the hard things. We thank God even when we meet with various trials and afflictions because we know that these aren't punishments. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God is our Father. We know, we heard it in the baptism form again this afternoon, that He turns away all evil from us or He he averts all evil or He turns it to our benefit. And so we can always say thank you even when the Lord takes away our loved one, we can still find something to say thank you for. Lord, thank you for the life of my beloved. Thank you for your work in their life. Thank you for the comfort of the gospel. Thank you for the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Thank you for the relief from pain and sin that you've given to my beloved one, even though it hurts so much now. For me, thank you for being with me in the valley of the shadow of death. And so for the believer, thanksgiving is all the time. And it's in every circumstance. And in every aspect of our life. Now we've just gone in the catechism up to Lord's Day 44. We've just gone through The commandments and the commandments describe what a redeemed life looks like. The Lord Jesus, he paid the price for all the commandments we broke. He took the punishment. 
the Lord Jesus lived a perfect human life. He kept all the commandments. And then all that righteousness he put on our account so that we have it. And the Lord Jesus looks at you, men, women, children. When he looks at you, he sees men, women, and children who have never sinned and have faithfully kept every one of his commandments. That's how he sees us in Christ. That's the gospel. And what is true in Christ, we want to taste that more and more. We want to experience it. We want to reflect the character of Christ. We want to rejoice like the psalmist in Psalm 119, where he goes on through the whole Hebrew alphabet, singing of his joy in God's commandments. And we want that. We want to be like the Lord Jesus. We want to be transformed from glory to glory after the image of Christ our Savior. We want to live in the freedom of the law of God. But we can't. You remember the sermon this morning mentioned Romans chapter 7 where the apostle struggles. He says, I want so badly to serve God, but my body is still kind of stuck and connected to this world of sin and brokenness and, and I fall flat on my face over and over and over. I can't keep the law perfectly as I want to. So the mark of a Christian is that we want to be holy. We want to live lives of righteousness and justice and truth and kindness and goodness. We want to look like our Savior. We want to be like our Father. Isn't that the sign of a true son? He says, I want to be like my dad. We want it to be true. I don't know if it's a saying in English. I know it's in Dutch. We want it to be true that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We want people, when they look at us, to say, I see God. I see the very character of God in you. That's what we want. But we can't get there. We can't do it, no matter how much we try. And the Lord says, my child, ask Stop trying. Stop working. Ask, and it shall be given to you. That's what the Lord Jesus tells us. And the Lord Jesus says somewhere else in the Gospels, he says, listen, even godless parents, if their child says, I'm hungry, they know enough to give their child some bread. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God's waiting to be asked. Are we asking? God's waiting for us to come to him. Are we coming? You know, sanctification is hard. And affliction is hard. And life in general is hard. Where are you looking for help? You know, parents, what would go through your heart if your little child, when they were hungry, they didn't come to you and say, Mommy, I'm hungry, I need something to eat. But if they went through the garbage looking for food, what would that do to your heart? There's something terribly wrong. What would it do to your heart if your child went next door and knocked on the neighbor's door and said, I'm hungry, please feed me? What would it do to you? It's not right. I love you. I'm here for you. Why aren't you coming to me with your needs? What's wrong? And yet how often don't we do that to God? We run after all of our stupid fake idol gods. 
All the things in this world and this fallen creation that we think can give us some kind of hope, some kind of comfort, and we say, oh, fake God, comfort me, help me, and hear my prayer. And our Father is standing there saying, my child, what are you doing? I love you. Come talk to me. I love you with an everlasting love. I will give you what you need. Knock and it shall be open to you. Ask and you shall receive what you need, my child. It's not more money. It's not more physical pleasure. It's not all of the lusts of your heart fulfilled. It's not your bucket list checked off. What you need is me. You need my grace and you need my spirit. And the only place to get them is with me and from me. So brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to pray. Because when we pray, then the taps are opened. We're walking through this world. It's a desert. It's a spiritual desert. And we're dry and parched and the sun is beating down on us and life is unpleasant in a broken, sinful world that hurts. And we long for refreshment. And all too often we're satisfied with the odd mud puddle we find along the way or the few drops of water, warm or hot water, which drip out of our empty canteens. And in front of us, there are these taps and prayer just opens those taps and the life-giving, refreshing water of God's grace and Holy Spirit just gush out and they fill our lives and overflow from our hearts and lives. Why aren't we opening the taps? Why aren't we being unceasing in prayer? Why do we keep hobbling along with parched lips complaining about how thirsty we are? Brothers and sisters, it's really simple. The gospel is always really simple. We make it complicated. Open the taps. Dedicate your life to be a life of unceasing prayer because a vibrant life of thankful prayer is a life into which the grace and the spirit of the Lord God are poured in abundant measure. And if you're feeling parched, and if you're feeling dry mouth and thirsty, and if you're feeling that there is no refreshment, then maybe you're not opening the taps. And maybe we're not dedicating time and energy and attention to our life of prayer. Maybe, just maybe, our life as individuals and as families and as a congregation would be very, very different if we just listened to what God told us to do and if we prayed unceasingly, then we will know a life full of the love and joy and peace of God in the Spirit. What does Paul write to the Philippians? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, not just some things, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your requests be made known to God. What happens when we do that? What happens when in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God? What happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Open the taps. Amen.